This is Design Driven, the podcast about using design thinking to build great products in lasting companies. Whether you're running a startup or trying something new inside a Fortune 1000, the tools, methods, and insights we talk about will help you create things people love. And now, your host, Jay Cornelius. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am Super excited to have Mark Luber on the show today. He is the Chief Product Officer at Equifax U.S. Information Systems, um, which is a long title and probably has a lot of detail in the day-to-day. Before that, he was at Cox Automotive. Before that, spent some time at LexisNexis, been a product guy for a very long time, seen a lot of stuff. So I'm interested to hear your perspective on stuff. Mark, how are you doing, man? Hey, Jay. I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me today. Um, Love talking about product. I love talking about how, how we get into product and, and, and what we do in product. Yeah. So like I said, you know, you've been at this a while and you were probably what most of us today would consider a product guy before most of us today knew what a product guy was. So what attracted you to, to that kind of work and, and how'd you get to where you are now? Yeah, I think it's still true. I think it's still true that many people in product, um, you know, didn't, didn't start there certainly weren't contemplating it maybe in university. It probably wasn't their first job out either. Um, that certainly was true for me. And, and it's changed a little bit because I think products really come into its own over the last maybe decade. But yeah, I've been, I've been doing this for uh, 20 years and started in technology, which is a common background. Mm-hmm. Um, started in computer science and doing cool things with uh, big data before, before I knew I could call it big data. Um, but you know, what really attracted me was just getting closer and closer to the business problem we're trying to solve. So Mm -hmm. I was having a great time, um, building the solution, right. But I wanted to hear more about why that was the solution, what the problem was and start there rather than the implementation. And so I had a very natural uh, sort of progression. I got closer to analytics first, because we had a lot of analytics teams working directly with customers to understand their problem and then product uh, for analytics and ultimately in uh, larger and larger product roles. But it's that convergence of understanding the business problem and technically what's possible that, uh, that really kind of drove me in this direction. Yeah. So like we talk about is, you know, we try to find the intersection of business value, customer value and technical capability and how to make those three things overlap as much as possible. So it, you know, at, at Equifax, you, there's a lot of products. People mostly know Equifax for credit reports, but there's a lot more behind the scenes that maybe a lot of people don't know about. Can you talk a little bit about the stuff that you're working on and, and kind of how you go about figuring out where to apply your team's capabilities and resources? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, it's the reason I, I joined Equifax when I did is because we're really transforming the company. So you'll hear um, a lot of public statements around becoming a product-led organization. So that's mm-hmm. that's music to our ears for uh, people in product, of course. Um, we're building data solutions, information solutions with analytics layered on top of that, helping our customers make decisions. I'd like to think about helping uh, consumers ultimately helping consumers live their financial best. That's one of our taglines. And, and that really speaks to me. Um, but we innovate with our customers. And that's important, I think, in product, you know, no matter what 
domain you're in. Mm -hmm. uh, so we try to marry that internal what's possible, the data assets we have, the technical and analyst capabilities we have, and then go talk to as many customers as possible and try to figure out what their strategies are, what their motivations are, um, what, what their priorities are. So this transition to being product-led has been really, really interesting and super transformative. And we needed a good technology base to do that because a big part of the work that um, I try to lean in on is this iterative innovation with customers, co-innovation, um, talking, you know, I'm sure you've talked about minimal viable products, which is really just a way yeah, to learn into solutions. You do need a strong technology base to be able to do that, right? So you can move fast with confidence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Once we're there, um, and that's where we're at today, which is exciting. Now we're working with a lot of customers. Now we're ready to, to iterate. Um, I talked to the team, both product teams and the larger business about a concept of revenue day one. And the reason I emphasize that is, of course, ultimately, we're, we're seeking to generate business value. But revenue on the day we launch is just one of the clearest signals that we had a great uh, set of design partners along the way. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about talking to customers and to have that target of revenue on day one, I'm assuming that that means that you've got a very clear and accurate idea of what those people are going to want and the value they place on that. So when do you start bringing customers in? Like when, when's the right time in the process to start talking to people? When we talk about, when you say uh, talking to people, I, I try to think about all of the external constituents for our products. I think this is also um, applicable outside of, my domain, your constituents may be different. Let me explain what I mean here. So when we launch products, we have uh, users of our products. We have decision makers within those businesses, which may or may not be the same as the users of the analytics. And they may or may not have the same exact priorities. Mm -hmm. I also um, think a lot about consumers because ultimately our products through our customers are used um, with consumers to help consumers gain access to services and so on. So how would they react to the capabilities we're, we're developing? And there's there's more than that, um, including like consumer advocates, right, regulators. So I really try to think about that full set of constituency. Wow. Now, most of our voice of customer is with customers and, and your specific question was, when do we uh, pull in customers? And I'm comfortable with us developing a wide funnel of ideas to identify a problem that we've seen based on lots of engagement with the market, lots of general engagement with the market. Um, I expect us to be able to identify why we would have an advantage in solving that problem. Mm -hmm. right? There's lots of problems in the world, uh, but a business and particularly a product team needs to identify opportunities and those opportunities or problems that we can solve better than anyone else. Yep. And then sometimes we'll also build an analytic if we can do it internally without customer engagement that starts indicating, you know, that we do have correlations in our data or signals that um, can kind of point us in the direction of solving a problem. But that's about it. At that point, you should be talking to customers. 
and you should be talking to customers all day long. So you've done a, you've done some work, you've done sort of third-party research, maybe some internal analytics. And, and now, you know, my next question is like, you know, which markets are we going after? And the reason I'm asking that is then to say, well, okay, who are you going to talk to? Which customers are we going to talk to? How many customers? Does your product um, depend on having broad market applicability, like multiple markets? Well, now we should talk to customers in at least the top markets where you think your, your product is applicable. So that starts really early. And I try to formalize that with a set of hypotheses or assumptions, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and I'm sure you've talked about this as well, but as you're developing a concept, state the biggest risks to success of your, your product. Maybe it's adoption, maybe it's whether uh, the, the analytics work, uh, maybe it's consumer sentiment. And, mm-hmm. and explain how you're going to test that before you have a full launch, right? right. And then the teams come back and we explore what, what we've learned. And so we try to be really oriented towards iteration and learning uh, with some of those tools. Yeah. So for example, if you're, if you think one of the biggest risks is like uh, adoption, for example, or enrollment is getting people to actually sign up to use the thing. How can you build something, some, some form of prototype that you can go out and test with that target market to see what their response is going to be before you actually spend the development time to do it? I think that's a, yeah, I think that's a great strategy and um, a good first strategy, right? The, the prototypes, um, a, a first blush analysis that shows, you know, how you can save or grow uh, through the tools. Mm-hmm. It's really easy for that, an audience like that to say yes to everything. Oh, for yes. sure. Yeah. Yes, I would buy that um, because it doesn't cost them anything. Um, at that point in time. And, you know, they'd love for us to explore all of these opportunities more because of course it benefits them um, at the end of the day, which is great, which is why we're in business. I do try to move us even past that. You know, we talk about getting customers and prospects and and pilots where there's skin in the game for both parties, Mm -hmm. whether it means they've committed to doing some work um, by integrating with a proof of concept or they've committed doing some work at a minimum to engage their other constituents to gather feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, Ideally, they would sign up to be a pilot. Maybe it's press, maybe do early press. And again, now they've got their name associated with it. But something that that, uh, goes a little bit beyond that that initial yes Um, is important because I think it's just so much more signal um, in that to determine whether we're on the right track. Yeah, for sure. And when you're thinking about which customers to test with, uh, how many customers to test, uh, and then what to test, you know that those can be very difficult questions to answer. Can you can you talk a little bit about how how you scope that and how you just kind of start going down that path and validate that you're doing things the right way before you get too far down the path and have wasted a bunch of time and money? Yeah, there is a bunch of art in, in what you just described. To your point, okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah. How many customers, which customers, what kind of customers, what exactly we're going to test. So I think who's a really interesting question in there. Okay. If I've got 10,000 customers already who are probably easier, you know, to engage with than, than a non-customer uh, to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, but which ones? So the, the first step along that path is, well, what are, what's our theory around 
if we can segment our customers, right? I might talk about large banks, mid banks, um, startups, credit unions, a couple others, that's just in financial services, or, or is it beyond as a telecommunications or, or some other market? Mm -hmm. Which are the target markets? So let's start with segmentation and you know, convince ourselves that there is a problem in each of those segments. Now, within each of those segments, who are we going to target? How are we going to sort of select the customers? And you know, sometimes um, I think in the B2B world, we can overshoot and we go to the largest customer. And they may not be the most uh, flexible. And we talked about trying to get skin in the game and proof of concept and experimenting. Right. And so a lot of times, you know, I push the team to not go for the largest customer per se, but one that we have experience with being flexible and they can still be fairly large. It doesn't mean we always have to go to the, the long tail, but um, we have experience with who's been willing to experiment, who's trying to do new things and go after that within each segment. There's been some interesting blurring lately in, in our space. So we've been doing a lot more with fintechs, which is um, a hot topic generally. Uh, companies either providing services or themselves lending in new ways with new experiences. Mm -hmm. And so we've been, we've been doing a lot of work there because there's a lot of nimbleness in, in fintech and the startup environment generally. What's interesting about that, and, and again, I'm sure this is you know, more broadly applicable too, is even the largest institutions are looking at what fintechs are doing now and saying, okay, how can I create great experiences? So, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So we can experiment with fintechs with these really nimble companies, knowing that, um, or having confidence, increasing confidence that it will also be subsequently applicable to large institutions because everyone's sort of following these, these new, uh, you know, kind of experiences in financial services. Yeah, we've seen that as well as the, the challenger banks are kind of paving a, a new path or at least willing to try some new things. And then once you get some traction there, the big banks tend to, to pay attention. So if you're looking at people who, so as you said, people that, that have uh, kind of a history of doing experimentation or people who are a little bit more flexible, you know, those people might be considered in the early adopter category or at least be willing to try some things more experimental. And because of that, they typically get some, some sort of market advantage because they're willing to try those new things that customers will actually adopt and, and will differentiate them from their competitors. 100%. And, and we have early adopters within segments, and that's from experience, I think. And then there's whole segments that are early adopters like that. <laughs> right. So once you get some confidence, so let's go to the next kind of step. Once you get some confidence around the problem that you see in the market and you've articulated that clearly enough that your team can start to think about how to solve that problem. Um, in, in your mind, what are the next steps that you, that you go through? And then how do you try to scope that out from timing and budget and, and resourcing? You know, it's interesting uh, that you brought up things like budget, right? And um, part of the work we're doing is that we have to transform a lot more than product to become product led. Right? Oh, for sure. And a lot of times you can fall in a business, you can fall into sort of a project orientation in product because mm -hmm. yep. you can, like we were just talking about, well, we found a problem. Let's, let's go build it. And now it's become a project. And with legacy sort of controls and organizational structures and just organizational momentum, those projects can cause you to sort of fall into bad habits of finishing um, because you started, right? Of not being able to pivot of fixing both time, money, and scope, which is 
going to lead to failure right. um, when you fix all of those. So, um, and measuring everything by revenue. And so what's next is we'll get to build, right? But first is setting things up like, okay, we talked a little bit about, well, what are our biggest assumptions and how, how are we going to test that? And we, then we can talk about MVPs. Setting up, if we have a big enough problem, objectives and key results. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, those are, or people will just say the acronym OKRs. And the idea there is to write down concepts that are measurable, but are leading indicators that are heading in the right direction. Right. Because revenue is always trailing. We need to, first of all, we, we need revenue ultimately, but it's not always uh, early enough uh, to tell us whether we should pivot, persevere, um, or, or move on. So object, uh, setting up some objectives and measurable key results, I think is really helpful, particularly early on. Um, are we talking about a new feature? And we can talk about um, you know, pilots of a new feature or uptake of, of a new feature, or are we trying to expand volume? And so we can look at volume early on or, or even engagement with clients early on. A lot of times we're trying to test new analytics. And so ultimately we're looking for revenue, but in early cases, we're just looking for um, test partners uh, that, want to, that want to test with us, that are willing to do the work to either contribute data or contribute analyses or, or responses to those analyses. So that's where, that's where I like to start. What are our assumptions? What are our objectives? How are we gonna measure that we're on the right track early on? so that um, we can continuously make these decisions about whether to go or not. But it also requires new kind of ways of working around a product team. So, you know, legal, knowing that we're going to continue to iterate finance, knowing that this is not a fixed project with fixed scope money right. um, and timeline. So right. that's, some of the, that's some of the great work uh, that, that I've done in the past and that, that we're doing now. Yeah, it's not just as simple as classifying it as a CapEx versus an OpEx project, right? It's, uh, <laughs> there's a lot more nuance in there. And I'm glad you brought up OKRs. You know, we, we tend to use OKRs pretty extensively as well. And um, a lot of times getting different business units or, or different parts of the organization to align on what those should be um, can be difficult because every business unit or every every function of the business has slightly different ways that they measure their own effectiveness. And so how, how do you think about trying to get alignment across different parts of the business so that they understand and buy into what the product side of the organization is doing? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and, and you started with, um, you know, alignment of what those objectives are. I I, um, I think there's actually an even earlier alignment, which is why are we talking about this? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, why are we not just talking about revenue or costs or margin? Um, and so that, and, I, and I've certainly fallen into this kind of presupposing that this makes sense to everyone, that leading indicators matter, right? And sure. so you know, I'd urge someone coming into an organization that's not product-led to first recognize that okay, we have to explain ways of working, why leading indicators matter, why objectives and key results matter. Um, and then I think you made a great point around now we also want alignment on those objectives. Do we agree that this is how we're going to judge, um, you know, efficacy of our business? And that's not just 
you know, how effective the product manager is or the product group is, but is the business effective in managing, growing and, and launching products. Um, and so I've exposed the whole organization to our objectives, our key results. And there's a lot of discussion around those, um, you know, healthy debate. Does that, you know, metric matter or not? And, and um, you know, we need to, we need to listen to all corners of the organization. It's kind of why I like, or one of the reasons I like product where we tend to be in the middle of a lot with all of these constituencies that um, can contribute and that we also then also need to sort of harness to, to run in, in one hopefully direction. Um, but I would definitely urge um, someone working with OKRs to get buy-in from sales, which again, first starts with what are we talking about? Why are we talking about this? Right. Certainly uh, finance, because you might be re reporting numbers that are different than numbers that come out of finance, right? Because, you know, I might be talking about um, early engagements, even if there's no revenue and these mismatches, this dissonance, or it should be recognized uh, up front. Yeah. And you mentioned kind of sitting in the middle of these different constituencies. And, uh, you know, earlier we talked about customers and now we're talking about internal and product kind of sits at the middle of all of those constituencies. So you've got to bridge the gap between not just all your internal business functions um, and all of your, your customer facing things, but then how do those two kind of macro level organizations fit together as well? And that can be like walking a tightrope sometimes. A absolutely. There's a lot of um, competing priorities. We, we're, we're trying to solve the customer problem. We're also trying to grow our business. Uh, we're also particularly in uh, the product and, and also with peers and tech and, and analytics trying to look ahead, which may, may seem distracting, right? And, and I know, you know, horizons have been, just, you know, been around a long time. I think it's still a, a fair structure just to think about, are we investing for now and the future? And the future, um, as I said, could be seen as distracting to some of our immediate business goals and even to some of our immediate customer yep. goals. Um, now, I think the big change in horizon planning, you know, over the last uh, maybe decade or two is it doesn't mean horizon three work is sitting in a lab, right? It still requires that constant iteration with customers and finding customers who are forward enough looking that, you know, they'll work with you throughout that process. And so I think there's real benefit um, to that work, not just making sure we're building for the future, but because now we're trying to work with customers across all those horizons, we can, it helps us be seen as a thought leader, mm -hmm. even as we're you know selling Horizon One um, or or just closing that next deal. So I, I think it works much better together today than maybe in the past. Yeah, of course, and and also having a recognition that those horizons will shift as you get closer to them, and you start to see things that you couldn't see from six months ago. And, and that can have a very material impact on your planning and, and what you intend to do next. Yeah, those pivots are really unsettling in sort of a traditional business context. Right, right. So all this is, is fantastic, but you've got to have a team to execute. And uh, unless that team is, is uh, highly functional and able to you know, take the inputs that you're getting both from the customers and, and understand the business requirements, 
um, you know, you can't be effective. So can you talk a little bit about measuring the team effectiveness and making sure that people stay on track and people stay aligned and uh, making sure that everyone's doing their best work? Yeah, this is super important uh, for product. And so, first of all, we have to identify the team. And yeah, who are the people, right? And, right. and what do they do? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, there needs to be this cross-functional team. We talked about product being um, in the middle and, tr- and driving these initiatives or driving these problems to be solved. So in an ideal state, we assign a product manager a problem, not a solution. Right. We make sure they have access to a tech partner that has access to a tech team. Um, I want a product manager to have a product marketing partner. So, um, so there's a marketing angle, an analytics angle as well. And uh, we also have a consulting partner, um, which is much, you know, almost entirely customer facing. So that, that product team for that problem between tech, analytics, the product manager, marketing and consulting, that's the team. That's their first team. And we mm-hmm. talk about first team sometimes. And you guys are going to be, uh, you, you team are going to be successful uh, together. And then you can agree on AK, OKRs together. And what are the first steps in order to determine the solution and so on? So that's the first step. And you ask, how do we uh, judge team, you know, whether the team is functioning well, whether everyone's pulling their weight? Uh, these are some of my words kind of pulling out of your question. I think uh, I think it's really hard first. So like, I don't feel like anyone's nailed that. Um, particularly, I push and expect a product manager ultimately to be responsible for the success. And so it's a little bit. Um, it's actually sometimes hard. You know, there's there's people who cover right for for weaknesses in a team, and we expect that of everybody as well. And so on one hand. You're trying to evaluate whether the individual members of the team are functioning. On the other hand, you're holding everyone on the team to to be successful no matter what. Um, And you're really trying to treat the team as one. And so I I really try to um, stick with that. Like this is a a solid team. We're not pulling it apart. One thing I do to really emphasize that is that different leaders in that that team, that cross-functional team, are going to present you maybe in ways that uh, you wouldn't have expected. So if we get together to talk about, um, if we're at the point where we're doing technology work and we're gonna talk about just, you know, the progress we've made, where we're at, what the next steps are, you know, I'll ask, I'll hope and ask the product manager to represent the tech progress, Hmm, not not necessarily the technologist. And if we've learned a lot from customers, again, that should have been none of a team. And you can ask the technology leader uh, what they've taken away from those customer engagements and, and that mm-hmm. exploration. So that's one thing I do to try to improve that team cohesion, uh, have everyone in a position where they're comfortable, willing, and the rest of the team's comfortable in speaking for any aspect um, of the good work that's being done. Right. So, and they can speak of, of, of that particular aspect from their perspective, obviously. Yes which is going to have a slightly different uh, nuance than the person who is closer to that work. Yep. We, we yeah, will and, all learn something. Yeah. Yeah. And that exposes a lot of things that you might not expose another way. Um, so we've got, we know what we're going to do. We know what the problem is and we've got some ideas on how to solve it. We've got a team that's working and they're, they're functional and they're, and they're making progress. 
Um, what, what happens next? Like when you, you get that back out in front of customers and then you start to see some traction, what happens next? Well, so if we start to see some traction, the first thing we should do is celebrate. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> Go get tacos. Yeah, totally. There's, there's a lot of hard work that was done. There's assumptions uh that that were made you know we took on uh some good amount of risk no matter how much we can de-risk uh the 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 work uh through you know all the discovery that we that we've talked about so yeah uh, the question is one how can we expand that success so that's one of my you know one of my immediate responses to okay we're seeing some traction how do we how do we expand that traction is there room for expansion and what can we use from those initial experiences, particularly those successful and not successful experiences that can help us expand? So does this lead to more marketing or are we building up our expertise? So now we're even more confident and have more facts um, and direction in that, that next engagement. And how do we distribute that information? And that's one of the biggest um, challenges that I think we face. Uh, I think certainly in B2B and probably in B2C as well. So there's definitely risk and hard work in getting some initial traction, right? And it's a lot of sort of elbow grease to, to for the whole team to engage with customers um, and convince them to try something new. Once you have that built that confidence, then we need to go to market in a much bigger way. Um, mm -hmm. So we need the sales team, you know, 300 sellers, I'm talking about Equifax US, to all be confident in this new solution and keep it in mind, but more importantly, really tell the market and create more demand for it. Um, and so there's you know lots of strategies, lots of venues to try to engage a broader set of um, markets, customers and prospects, but that's some of the work um, that we should do, particularly once we're seeing a little bit of traction. Mm -hmm. Product should lead that as with every aspect, but of course, that's um, you know executed um, and led, and the strategies are developed um, a lot by our, our marketing and product marketing peers yeah, as well. Sure, sure. Are you using pre mortems at all with your teams? Kind and of what went wrong if we're looking forward and it, and it uh, and it didn't work? You know, what led to the success, or in a scenario where things didn't work out, like what went wrong? So I haven't employed uh, pre mortems at all. Actually, I was listening to some of uh, your other interviews and just picked that up recently and um, want to definitely want to try that out. Something, and you tell me, you know, how similar or dissimilar this is, but I, I do talk to the team very early on as to what, what would the press look like if this was successful? Right. What would be telling the market um, sort of dream, right? What, what it could be. Um, I also use uh, future first thinking mm -hmm. quite a bit because when, especially when you're trying to innovate, it's a lot easier to agree on what the world will look like in 10 years than uh, what it would look like in one year, but sure. build, build towards that 10 year. Um, so anyways, there's some of the other strategies that, that may, that don't, that don't replace um, what we're talking about here with uh, pre-mortems. Yeah, so we found that to be an interesting tool um, simply to uncover some stuff that might not come up in another form of discussion. 
Um, and then also, you know, you're talking about looking out 10 years, what does the world look like then? And then how do we kind of backcast to where we are today? So if, if we want that vision of the future to be true, uh, what does that mean has to be true in five years? And so then what has to be true in two years? And then that what has to be true in one year for all of those other things to also be true. And that can give us a way to start to break down a very large problem into actionable things that we can start doing today. Yes. And some of the bigger ideas can seem less risky in that case. Absolutely. Because if we agree on 10 years, really all all we're talking about is how fast should we get there? Not whether we should do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, great conversation. I want to be respectful of your time. I know you've got a lot of things on, on your plate. Um, any parting thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, Jay, this was great. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to step back and talk about the practice, practice of product management, you know, what, uh, what we're doing. I, I just feel so lucky that, you know, I ended up uh, in, in this kind of role in product management. I'd urge others listening that, that aren't in product management to to seriously uh, consider it. Um, this concept of transforming into a product-led organization has been just, just a, a lot of fun. And I think the, you know, a lot of companies are trying to do the same thing. So um, I welcome more conversation with you and, and, and your listeners and we can uh, get there together. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to chat again. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of people listening probably are very familiar with Equifax as a brand. And um, there's been a lot of, of, of cool things happening over the past several years there. And it's been fun to watch the organization um, as it grows and as it does become more product led. And it seems like you guys are on the right track. So congratulations for that. And uh, I, I certainly will uh, look forward to keeping an eye on what you're doing in the future. Awesome. Thanks, Jay. All right. Thanks, Mark. That's it for today. Design Driven is brought to you by Nine Labs, guiding innovators and product teams through executing their vision. Find out how they can help improve your digital products at NineLabs.com. Have comments, questions, or an idea you'd like us to cover? Point your browser to designdriven.biz and click Contact Us at the top of your screen. We'd love to hear from you. Tell your friends and colleagues about the Design Driven Pod. Post on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or send them an email and tell them to go to designdriven.biz or wherever they find their podcasts. Until next time, remember what Thomas Watson, founder of IBM, said, Good design is good business.